0: Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard
1: Seren. Thanks for inviting me into your home or your long haul truck, your RV, maybe you're off the grid, you're listening in on your crystal radio set in your log cabin using one of Elon Musk's amazing batteries. However and wherever you're listening, climb aboard. This is a direct nonstop flight in pursuit of the truth. So, put your seat in the upright position, fasten your seatbelt, remove all sharp objects from your pockets, make sure your carry-on baggage is safely stowed, and be prepared to leave everything behind you thought you knew. This is, in fact, The Conspiracy Show. I'm your humble host, Richard Serrett. Uh, I just, I received, I wanted to just mention this very briefly, uh, because I received a rather hefty information packet uh, from a woman I'll call Brenda. And uh, Brenda is reaching out to me. Uh, she's here in Toronto. She believes she is a targeted individual. We have talked about that numerous times on the program uh, with Marie Jones most recently and Dr. John Hall, of course, uh, from San Antonio, Texas. And Dr. Hall joined us at um, my live stage event, Follow the Truth 2, back in April in Oshawa. And Brenda, I'm sorry that you couldn't be there for that uh, because that would have uh, allowed you... Uh, to meet directly with Dr. Hall and, and discuss your case. And, Brenda, uh, you've included this heartfelt uh, letter, which I have read, and then all of this information, uh, just registered mail, uh, faxes, correspondence with um, a licensing enforcement officer, all of I, which I guess you believe adds up to uh, evidence that you are being targeted. And I, I have no reason to, to doubt you. Here's the thing, though, Brenda. I can't. I can't help you. Um, you you've uh, left a phone number here for me to call, and the best thing that I can do uh, is direct you to um, maybe to reach out to um, Eleanor White. A little later in the program, I'll uh, I'll have her email uh, address for you or her website. That's the best thing. She's an expert in this field. I am not. I am a broadcaster. Uh, so if you genuinely believe you are a targeted individual, you are being harassed, uh, are organized, uh, uh, stalking involved, and so forth, again, I have no doubt to uh, to doubt you, or I have no reason to doubt you. Uh, something is, is going on, perhaps. You need to, to reach out to an expert, someone who can guide you and provide you with the kind of information that can help you. Again, I'm a broadcaster. I'm not an expert in, uh, electronic harassment or organized stalking. So, uh, stay tuned, uh, and I will, uh, I'll get you that email address for, um, or what I may be able to do is, is have, um, Albert give you a ring and provide that contact information, uh, for Eleanor White. She's, uh, she's terrific in this area. A long time targeted individual, 30 plus years, and, um, an advocate working uh, for people like you. All right, Brenda, um, sorry I can't be a further help. That's the best I can do. And I think Eleanor can help you. Um, you know, something I always find compelling is, and I always, it makes me stand up and take notice, and that's when a former skeptic or a debunker, as the case may be, has a particular experience, some might call it a come-to-Jesus moment, an experience that is so profound they do a complete about-face and become a believer. Now, let me give you an example. Over the years, I've interviewed a number of former atheists uh, who set out to debunk the Shroud of Turin, not believing it to be the authentic burial cloth of, of Jesus Christ. Only after studying it, they become believers, not only in the Shroud, but believers in God and Christ. In other words, they become devout Christians. They became devout Christians, as a result of studying the Shroud, and they set out to debunk it. My guest in this hour was a skeptic, not of the Shroud of Turin, but of remote viewing, something we talk a lot about on this program. Again, the, as I describe it, the ability to transcend space and time with the mind and view objects hidden from view, and even events, past, present, and future. My guest signed up for a class in extended remote viewing with David Morehouse of the CIA psychic spy program Stargate at Fort Meade in Maryland back in the late 70s. He wanted to find out the truth for himself, and after taking this course, everything, and I mean everything, changed. John Herlosky was born in Syracuse, New York, educated at Marquette University, he earned a degree in criminal justice from El Camino College and has worked for two large metropolitan police departments. He is the co-founder of the nonprofit think tank, the Institute for Evolutionary Technologies, as well as the co-director of Project Trojan Warrior II, a mind-body integration training program that works closely with members of SEAL Teams 1 and 3. John Herlosky, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your show. And uh, let's uh, mention the book here as well. The brand-new book is entitled, or is titled, not entitled, it's titled, (laughs) A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. All right, now, I went up to uh, the Menlo Park, and um, I met Russell Targ a few years ago. Of course, um, we talked about his work uh, at the Stanford Research Institute with... um, with Pat Price and Ingo Swann and, uh, and others. Uh, when, uh, I mean, you were a skeptic about remote viewing. What, when did you become familiar uh, with, with um, either the work at, at Stanford regarding remote viewing and psychic abilities and clairvoyance and so forth, or was it when it was announced that Stargate, you know, was an actual program at Fort Meade? When did you get into this area?
0: Well, uh, this occurred back during the pro- uh, Trojan Warrior II project in the early 90s. We were investigating a number of different technologies uh, to use in our program, and just by happenstance, I happened to come across some uh, research that had been done in remote viewing. But at the time, being a skeptic, I kind of shined it on. I really didn't uh, give it too much credence. And it wasn't until um, late in 1997 that I had come across a book by the title "Psychic Warrior" by David Morehouse, right, which is of course his expose on Project Stargate. And I was so taken by the book that I had to investigate further. And it was it was not so much that the government was Involved in the use of um, psychic um, phenomena as a intelligence gathering asset in espionage, that I found intriguing. What I found most intriguing was they took a special operations soldier, a ranger company commander, you know, about as straight as you can get, and they taught him how to become a remote viewer.
1: And that's the part that intrigued me. And so you signed up for uh, uh, David Morehouse's uh, program, his right. class. And yeah. uh, when did you start? When were you enrolled?
0: Well, I, um, I had heard about a class in the spring of 1999 as a continuing education class at UCLA for a beginning and intermediate course in what is called controlled remote viewing, CRV, that was being taught by Dave Morehouse. So I signed up for it. And uh, it was a class, a relatively small class, about 15 people. And um, I was a skeptic, and I was the only one in there that was a skeptic, and I know that for a fact because Dave had all of us stand up and give a short background bio on each of us, you know, just listing the reason why we decided to take the course. And when it was my turn, I said flat out that, you know, I'm an, I'm an ex-police officer. Um, I have worked with the military, and my major in college was mathematics. I also have a degree in uh, criminal justice. And frankly, I am a skeptic about all of this. But I do have an open mind, and I wanted to find out for myself whether or not There was any truth to any of this. So,
1: going into the, going into Morehouse's class, you didn't believe that you, for example, had any latent psychic ability.
0: No, no. You know, I've, I've never had a premonition. I've never had any type of psychic experience in my life. I've never seen a ghost. Never seen a UFO. And as far as I knew, um, Elvis was
1: still dead. (laughs) Uh, and this is a fairly intensive course, was it not? How, how, how many hours?
0: Well, it was it was split into two weekends: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, of, across two weeks. And it started early, nine o'clock in the morning, and went all the way through until approximately eight o'clock at night.
1: And what what is the the difference? I mean, we hear a lot of terms uh, thrown around. You know, there's. Clairvoyance. There's there are out of body experiences. There's extended remote viewing, coordinate remote viewing. So, help us out, sort these out now. Uh, first of all, let's start with the difference between remote viewing, clairvoyance, and out of body experiences. Are they all the same thing?
0: Well, they're all considered what are what are called uh, consciousness related phenomena. Um, they're all part of a spectrum. Let's say uh, you have out of the body experiences perhaps on um, one part of the um, spectrum way over on the left-hand side, let's say a religious experience way over on the right side. And in the middle you have things like clairvoyance and precognition and telepathy. And each um, common denominator for all of them is the fact that it's consciousness-related. Right, right. Okay? Now, with remote viewing... It is a psychic ability, okay? But I I'm not real crazy about using the term psychic because that engenders the idea of, you know, Miss Cleo and the psychic hotline and right, things like right. that. You know, the crystal ball and the, the swami hat and all of that sort of thing. And remote viewing is not that at all. Remote viewing was born in a bed of science. It was created by two Laser physicists, one of whom you've already mentioned, uh, Targ, and Hal Plutoff. And it was done at the um, uh, Stanford Research Institute under the behest of the Central Intelligence Agency.
1: Well, we've got uh, the music uh, percolating up here, uh, sure. John, so we'll take a time out, we'll come back, and we'll continue to delve into remote viewing. A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. More with The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
0: When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh,
1: Before we get back to uh, my conversation with John Herlosky, the author of A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate, one more point. I mentioned off the top, receiving this information packet from uh, Brenda, who's a uh, I believe she's a targeted individual. And Brenda, again, if you're listening, um, Eleanor White uh, used to have a website. It's no longer up, so I'm not sure what's happening there, but um, you're going to need to find someone who has access to a computer. And uh, that's where you're going to find your help, I think. And if you were to go to uh, Freedom from Covert, uh harassment and surveillance and it's uh, the website is freedom freedomfchs.com freedom um there's a contact page there and everything you need and uh that's a good place to start just get in touch with uh, those the the folks at freedom from covert harassment and surveillance uh, once again the website freedom dot uh and uh, god bless and good luck to you brenda okay Uh, John Herlosky is uh, with us, started out as a skeptic, joined a a class in extended remote viewing, uh, taught by uh, David Morehouse, who was uh, stationed at Fort Meade, part of the CIA's, well, it started off as the uh, Defense uh, Department's intelligence agency, the DIA, and then at some point, I think it got handed over to the CIA, who claimed that the project was shut down in the mid-90s because they say it wasn't working. Uh, but uh, ask anyone involved in that project, and they'll tell you an entirely different story. John uh, is telling us about his experience. So uh, this was an intensive, um, uh, uh, started out as a weekend class or two weekends. Uh, in in total, how many hours did you spend?
0: Well, for that, that particular weekend, it was, um, well, let's see, almost 11 hours on three days. So that's 66 hours for two weekends.
1: Okay, and was it coordinate remote viewing or extended remote viewing?
0: Yes, Dave teaches um, coordinate remote viewing first as a beginning and intermediate course so that you get a chance to, as it were, dip your foot into the pool.
1: Okay, and just very quickly, explain when you're doing coordinate remote viewing. And I I took a crash course and and actually had (laughs) rather startling uh, results, for me anyway, Um, just explain a thumbnail sketch of how coordinate remote viewing works.
0: Well, um, it's difficult to go into the the theory of coordinate remote viewing because it is, as I'm sure you understand, uh, rather involved. But what it comes down to is, is that you have a project manager, or in this case it was Dave Morehouse teaching the course, who has the intention that you should view a particular target. And what he does is he assigns what are called encrypted coordinates, which are simply a group of numbers or letters and numbers or letters that are assigned to the concept of the target. Okay, these coordinates have no other real significance. Okay, they only provide a focus point for the remote viewers. And then the remote viewers going, go into an altered state And by using the six-stage methodology of coordinate remote viewing, they are able to access that target and describe what they see
1: and feel and hear and taste and touch and smell. And that state that you described, is that the alpha state? Yes. Yes.
0: By and large, the uh, the alpha state is the um, primary uh, viewing mode, if you will, Uh, for coordinate remote viewers. Now, you'll find that in many cases what happens is you start to drift lower and lower into a theta state because you just get so wrapped up on this inward-turning technology. And you can really get wrapped up with the target and undergo what is called a bilocation, in which case you start really experiencing what a person would experience if they were actually at the target site.
1: How soon into this um, course with David Morehouse did you begin to realize that, there, hey, there's something going on here. This is real.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny because out of our entire class of 15 people, on our first try, I was the only one to get absolutely nothing. Everybody else, went to the target and had descriptions and sketches and everything else and I saw absolutely nothing and of course I was um, a little embarrassed (laughs) chagrined if you will at that but Dave Morehouse said that I had made a minor mistake in my in the beginning portions of the methodology and so the following day when we did another target I didn't make that mistake and it blew me away. I mean I I frankly it just made my draw my jaw drop.
1: Well what were you sensing? Seeing, smelling, touching?
0: Well it was it was amazing because after I had taken the coordinates and I was I had my eyes closed, you know, they Dave keeps the room fairly dark and fairly quiet. I mean there's enough light so you can see to write on a piece of paper and that's about it. And it got to the point where I was, there were shapes that would float up into my vision and they would coalesce and they would change and morph and it was really hard to try and figure out what it was. But every once in a while, it would shift and morph into something that I could recognize and I would write that down. And as I got more and more into the session, things started to change for me. And that was the fact that The room, which was air-conditioned and rather cool at the time when we first started, suddenly felt to me to be extremely warm, and I started to sweat. And I felt really thirsty, like my mouth was was filled with cotton. And I started hearing noises like shouts and and yells and things like that. And I, I opened my eyes because it was so realistic that I thought I was hearing things inside the room or perhaps just outside the room. But when I opened my eyes, the room was still, you know, in a twilight-like, and it was dead silent. There was nothing going on. And I suddenly realized that the room was cool. It wasn't warm, even though I had been sweating. And I thought to myself, wow. And I think that was my eye-opening moment there when that happened because all these things that I had seen and experienced and everything else, um... really seemed to be happening to me. So I wrote down all of this stuff. And then at the end of the session, when we wrapped it all up and we, we put our papers down and we went for a break, I started thinking about what was happening. And I thought to myself, well, there probably wasn't anything to it. I probably was just daydreaming
1: or imagining
0: all of these things. And I kind of shrugged it off. As a matter of fact, when, when I started talking with some of the other, uh, students in the, in the, uh, class and i I told them what i had seen and heard and they said yeah i mean we we i i saw that too and i'm thinking no you didn't no you didn't of course i I didn't say that out loud I, i kept it to myself i didn't want to embarrass them but i was thinking ah you know this is this is all a farce but to my um great surprise when dave morehouse put the a uh, picture of the feedback of our target up on the overhead projector. The target was Mecca. And I was, like, totally shocked because I had drawn the major structure in the center of the, um, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the square where everybody comes in and circles around
1: that that building. Right. And so you, you didn't know exactly what it, you didn't put a name to it. You just saw a structure, you drew right. it, and then you found out... Yeah, what it yeah. was.
0: I had no idea where I was I mean or what I was seeing I didn't even know if what I was seeing was had anything to
1: do with anything. So you were having a bi-location experience.
0: Yes, that was my first bilocation location First by location.
1: And is there any uh, sort of um, teamwork involved for example, are you working as a, individuals or are you comparing notes with others in the class to try and figure out what it is or how does that work?
0: No, actually, each of us, we're, we're given the coordinates, and we're all at separate tables, and we do our work. And, of course, when the, the session finishes, we write up our notes and everything, and we, we, um, we just leave them on our desk, and then uh, Dave goes around and, and checks each one, of the, um, each one of the works, each one of the sessions that um, the students did while we're out on a break. And, of course, when we're out on the break and we're talking with each other, you know, we were, we were talking about what we had seen and felt and heard and things like that. So in no case did anybody really know what the target was. I mean, there was no way to tell because the only thing we had been given by Dave, and he was very careful about this, was the fact um, of those coordinates, which for us happened to be two sets of four
1: numbers chosen at random. So after that moment... <laughs> And at the end of that weekend, mm-hmm. did, did you you signed up for more? Oh yeah, yeah.
0: I had to find out more. I mean, this this was so mind bending to me that this could possibly be be real. And you know, my my belief system at the time didn't allow for something like this.
1: What belief system in particular? If you don't mind well, asking. Well, you
0: know, I I was brought up um, in the. From in the scientific method, if you will. Right, okay. Um, all of my work in, in college had been um, in mathematics with a minor in engineering and philosophy. And when I became a police officer, you know, you, you I went through two police academies and graduated in the top ten of both. I, um, I went on to get a, a degree in criminal justice. And of course, you know, as an investigator, as a police officer, you are trained weed through all the lies and the subterfuge and everything else to find out what the truth is so i was convinced and i convinced myself after the class that that number one i wanted to find out more about all of this number two i was only half in belief that i had actually done the things that i had done and in practice between after that class and the following class that i took um later that year um, I would have the same doubts about the reality of of what I was doing each time that I would do a practice target and then of course when I was finished and I broke up the packet that I was given for that particular target and viewed what the the actual target was I mean it just I couldn't believe it
1: well in keeping with the scientific hard. method you had to you had to to see if the experiment was, yes. the result was repeatable. And exactly.
0: it was. Exactly. I mean, you can't take one instance and say, well, it must be real. I mean, that's why when you see these TV shows and they talk about um, putting a, a remote viewer to the test and they, they want them to have, or anybody for that matter, whether it's a remote viewer or somebody who says they have had a psychic experience, and they put them up to a test and say, well, you have to do so much here, and if you don't do it, then it obviously wasn't real. Well, that's a farce. That has nothing to do with the scientific method. That, that's a particular instance. Science doesn't work that way. You have to do a series of experiments, and it has to be carefully controlled. It has to be replicatable. The experiments have to be written up so they can be peer-reviewed and then replicated by someone else. That's the way the scientific method works.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, after speaking with Russell Targ, uh, he said to me that the evidence uh, for, I know we don't like the term psychic ability when we're talking about remote viewing, but he says that the evidence for uh, psychic ability is greater than the evidence that bare aspirin can cure, can cure headaches. That's correct.
0: You cannot
1: deny the mathematics
0: of the research that has been done it is incontrovertible even the, one of the, the biggest debunkers out there, Dr. Ray Hyman said that although he didn't believe that remote viewing had any real application in intelligence work he said that you cannot deny it exists
1: All right, on that note we'll uh, take a break we'll find out then why in 1995 the CIA Hold the plug on this program. Back with more of my conversation with John Herlosky, a sorcerer's apprentice, a skeptic's journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back, John Hurlosky stays with us. A Sorcerer's Apprentice, a skeptic's journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. We're talking psychic spies. Uh, if it works, why did the uh, why was the, the the plug pulled on on Stargate uh, in the mid '90s?
0: You know, that's an excellent question. Uh, you would think that this particular technology, uh, being so useful, or at least having the ability to be so useful. have been a priority in the intelligence community but as it turns out um, there was a lot of resistance to this particular program Um, and it was especially within the military and the intelligence circles the program itself actually enjoyed a lot of widespread enthusiasm in congress and in the white house that did not however extend back down into the military and the intelligence services there was a lot of resistance to it. And in many cases, um, the military remote viewers, Dave Morehouse, Lynn Buchanan, Paul Smith, uh, Joe uh Skip Atwater, I mean, I can name a whole slew of them, will tell you that they were, they were told that if you continue in this project doing this type of work, you will never promote. And it was this resistance in the higher levels of the military and the intelligence services, which, after all, are run by people who are either in the military or were in the military, that um, kept the program from really expressing its true potential, if you will. And I think that's the reason why this program um, never made it beyond 1995. I mean, the program itself um, drifted from one sponsor to another, I mean, it was started first by the CIA, but then from there, it drifted over to the DIA. And from there, it went to the Air Force. And then from there, back to, I think, the DIA, and then from there to the CIA. And then, I mean, it was completely adrift on a number of different occasions. Even though this program had produced intelligence data that you could not get by any other mode of intelligence gathering. I mean, it's, it seems incomprehensible, but there was a lot of resistance to it. And I think part of the reason was the fact that many people have a religious prejudice against psychic phenomena. I mean, admit it, if I was doing this work back in 1600, they would have burned me at the
1: stake. True, absolutely. Uh, The other thing is uh, Fort Meade, we're talking about 1978, I think, uh, Uh the program started, and uh, now all of a sudden, 17 years later, they say it doesn't work. 17 years it took them to figure that out? That seems odd.
0: Very odd, especially since, once again, as I stated earlier, this program enjoyed um, um, promotion at the highest levels. And you could, if you looked at the program, the, the the successes that they did, you cannot deny the work that they did.
1: Can you share a few for instances, a few success sure. stories?
0: Oh God, there are so many. In fact, they used to call it what was known as a eight martini session. And an eight martini session is a remote viewing result that is so accurate and so mind bending that you have to go out and have eight martinis to get your mind around
1: it. <laughs> How do I sign up for that? Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I guess, let's see. Uh, one of the sessions I think is really interesting is the one that um, Major Paul H. Smith did. And he was actually on what is called an open search outward, which is simply like a shotgun blast into the matrix. And that is where... The program manager at the time had targeted him on a set of coordinates, but it's like a wild card. There is nothing that is assigned to those particular coordinates. So he enters the remote viewing uh, psychospaces, and whatever happens to be interesting that he happens to come upon, they write it up. And if it's interesting enough, then they assign other remote viewers to that set of coordinates to learn more about it. Well, he was doing this particular open search outward, and although the project manager at the time was looking for something UFO-related, Paul instead described a warship that was attacked by missiles and that uh, they impacted the ship and it exploded and there was death and destruction and fire and smoke. Well, they wrote it up and they sent it up the chain of command either it was never read or if it was read it was ignored but 48 hours later in the Gulf of Sidra the USS stark um, was targeted by a Iraqi warplane and fired on with two exocet missiles one of the first of which hit and exploded and the second one which went right through the ship
1: and that's documented
0: and that is documented Forty-eight hours later, it's all documented, including Paul's session.
1: All right, we'll come back with John Herlosky talking about psychic spies and remote viewing right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for hanging out. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. John Herlosky is with us. Co-founder of the non-profit think tank The Institute for Evolutionary Technologies And and he is also the co-director of Project Trojan Warrior 2 A mind-body integration training program That works closely with members of SEAL Team 1 and 3 Skeptical but curious about the CIA's Stargate Psychic Warfare Project He attended a class taught by a former member of the Psychic Spy Unit Dr. David Morehouse in the spring of 1999 and he still works with Dr. Morehouse as his science advisor and assistant. Uh, Now, you uh, also, uh, I I believe, um, remote-viewed the Titanic. Yes. Now, when you're remote-viewing a past event, that's difficult to corroborate, uh, isn't it?
0: Well, in this case, it wasn't. Um, Thanks to Bob Ballard, uh, we have scientific evidence of how the ship actually looks like because um, Ballard did all that work with the remotes and actually went down and uh, did a complete survey of the wreck so that um, when we were given the target we were able to match that with information that we had gotten from uh, that particular um,
1: incident. So give us a glimpse into your remote viewing of the Titanic. What did you see? I mean were you getting
0: Oh, uh, that was, Images. oh boy, I tell you. Um, that was my first successful ERV session. And it was even more mind-bending than the location that occurred in CRV. Um, where CRV is kind of like dipping your foot into the pool, um, ERV is like diving in to the matrix. And your experience is much more intense in ERV. Um, when I was given the coordinates and we started the cool down, and this is where you try and bring yourself down through the alpha state and down into the deep theta wave state. Um, everyday ordinary brainwave states are usually in the beta to gamma range, anywhere between 13 to uh, 40 cycles per second or more. Um, alphas uh, are usually anywhere between, down between 13 and um, 8 uh, cycles per second. And then as you get into theta, you go from 8 all the way down to about 4 uh, cycles per second. And of course, below that is delta. And when you use ERV, you tend to drop down really deep, which is basically right on the border between... Uh, Theta and
1: delta. Uh, something just occurred to me, and, and forgive sure. the intrusion, John. But uh, we, we, we recently learned that a delta team went into Syria and took out one of the uh, uh, the uh, the ISIS leaders. Mm-hmm. Is 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 there a connection between the brainwave delta and naming these units?
0: Um, no, actually, delta uh, the uh, delta teams were uh, created on a a separate, if you will, um, entirely fortuitous incident.
1: Okay. I, I,
0: it, it didn't really have anything to do with the, the, um, the coincidence between the two names.
1: All right. I apologize for the intrusion. No, Continue. No, 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 not at all.
0: Not at all. I'm sure somebody else was thinking the same thing. But um, when you get into this, this deep state, um, the experience when you go to the target can become very intense, and this is what I found what happened with me. When I dropped into the target, you know, I was. When you do ARV, you usually do it as, or at least we did it. Um, we would have inflatable, inflatable mattresses, and we would put um, sleeping bags on them with pillows. And we would um, we would have eye shields, which would block out the light from the room, and we would have earplugs, And Dave would play um, pink noise in the room to drown out any ambient um, distraction. So I was snugged down in my, my, uh, my workplace, and I was nice and comfortable and everything, but when I dropped into the Target, that changed immediately. And instead of being warm and comfortable, I became freezing cold, just freezing cold, extremely uncomfortable. And I also found that I was having a lot of difficulty breathing, breathing in. It was as if I was at the bottom of a pylon, you know, in terms of a bunch of people jumping on top of me. Right, right. Very, very difficult to breathe and it was extremely uncomfortable and it was very claustrophobic because I felt like I was surrounded by this thick, heavy, oppressive, dark atmosphere. And it was thick. It was, it wasn't like, you know, walking on a, on a sidewalk, you know, with the air around you. It was thick. You had to move your arms through it like like molasses or something. And very oppressive, very dark, very cold. And I noticed that there were these... Uh, I thought it was dust or maybe snowflakes, but there was something in, in this medium that was drifting down through... Um, around me. Almost as if I uh, there was snow drifting down around me. And... I was really disoriented because, you know, I'm expecting to see a target like maybe, uh, because this was a training target, I was expecting to see like maybe, you know, like the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower or something like that. And here I was in this dark location that was extremely uncomfortable. And I had no clue to, to any idea of where I might have been at that time. And as I moved forward, suddenly this wall came out of the gloom in front of me, and um, I, I was really surprised because it just came right out of the gloom at me. And I stopped, and I looked up, and it way up near, I mean, it was far above me. I could see something, so I drifted up to it, and it looked like it was a barbed wire fence. Um, there were the posts, and then they had this, these horizontal lines across it. And it it looked a little bit like like um, barbed wire that had um, been sprayed with a um, insulation foam on it. It was very clumped, and I couldn't quite understand what was going on there.
1: Just a just a note. I've got about four and a half minutes here.
0: Sure, I'm almost done. Actually, it was right at that point when I was thinking to myself, "Where am I?" That. My next door, uh, or the person who was lying next to me, um, had fallen asleep, which is not too unusual when you do ERV. Um, you, viewers often will cycle down to, into sleep and then come back up again. But he had started to snore, and when he snored, it went blasting into my consciousness. And the effect was the only way I can describe it is if um, you were on the end of a stretched- out rubber band. And someone let go of one end, and I got yanked back to uh, the room. And it was, I mean, I had vertigo. It was so uh, pronounced. And, of course, it turns out that the wall, of course, was the hull right near the bow, and the those lines of what I thought were uh, posts and um, barbed wire with insulation on them turned out to be the barnacle-encrusted um
1: uh, lifelines. Ah, so you were you were witnessing the uh, the ship as she rested on the ocean floor. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and how were you able to make how were you how were you able to connect those dots that that's what you were looking at?
0: Well, the only way that we that I, I could have understood what was going on was the fact that uh, Dave Morehouse put the uh, the feedback for the target up, and suddenly it all hit me. Of course, the cold, the oppressive pressure, you know, the difficulty breathing. Um, the stuff that floats down that I that I saw—that's all the organic matter from the surface drifting down at 15,000 feet, you know, to the the ooze at the bottom right, of the right, uh, right. ocean floor. And of course, you know, as it was, it was barnacle encrusted. And um, one of the pictures that Dave put up on the screen was, of course, taken by the the ballot organization, and it showed the bow almost exactly from the point of view that I saw it, and that was like, wow. Amazing! Amazing! It was like getting hit in the face with a two by four.
1: Um, We often hear about police departments as a last resort, uh, um, you know, uh, um, getting leads from uh, people who have psychic ability, clairvoyance, and so forth, in order to find missing people and so forth. It's almost as if they're trying to, you know, uh, distance themselves from it. But you're you've worked with major police departments. To what extent are they? Uh, perhaps surreptitiously, employing remote viewers to solve cases, uh, locate missing people, and so forth?
0: Well, I know for uh, that it has been used in the past and is probably being used. Well, I know it's been used in the present because I've been involved with it. Um, But um, you have to understand that because police departments are so closely watched by the media, If it were to get out that they were utilizing remote viewers, I mean, the media frenzy over something like that would completely overshadow the case.
1: Sure, sure. And it would
0: make it extremely difficult to work as remote viewers under those circumstances. And it would make it very difficult, in fact, for the the law enforcement agency involved to uh, continue to use it uh, effectively. So officially, they
1: don't. They don't. They don't believe in it. But unofficially, yes, they do
0: very much. So Um, there are a number of agencies that have very um, surreptitiously or uh, very confidentially have utilized remote viewing talent in the past. But you have to understand something, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't understand. Remote viewers don't solve crimes. Okay, we don't. What we do is we provide information that can provide leads to the investigators, investigators involved so that they can solve the crime. Okay, this is the way that remote viewing was designed to be used, is not to be used as a be-all, end-all investigative
1: right. technique. Right, in it's conjunction with other information and other exactly. leads. Exactly. Right. Other methods. And very quickly, you're, you're, you're currently using remote viewing uh, to help locate POWs, is that right?
0: Um. I, I don't want to go too much into that because, once again, we're into a situation like we've already been discussing. Okay. But, yes, we have used that um, for um, POWs. And, as a matter of fact, that's how I got my first operational target. And that is something that I can talk
1: about. Well, uh, and we will, maybe on another occasion. I'd love to have you back on, uh, John, maybe in, in a month or two. Would you be good for that?
0: Oh, I certainly would.
1: All right, John Herlosky, A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate. It's a great read, a real page-turner, and it all happened to John Herlosky. Thank you for this, John.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
1: My pleasure. And my thanks to Tim Spreen and Albert, uh, of course. My capable intern back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be aboard for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.